Good morning. Thank you for being here. Love to get in the Word together with you. We're in Genesis chapter 14. Am I echoing out there as I am here? Okay, okay, okay. Let's get that. Okay, we're getting that fixed? There we go. So, Jen, I'm going to read just the first four verses, but we're going to be going through this chapter, and then next week we're going to revisit this chapter because there's too much in it for one Bible study. So in Genesis 14, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, pray, and then we'll look at this text. And it came to pass in the days of Amphrel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Eleazar, Kidloamer, I don't know if I'm saying these right or not, but I'm just going to go through it, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of, the, of nations, that they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemeber, king of Zeboin, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. All these joined together in the valley of Siddim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Ketelamer, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. So, Lord, we thank you again for your word and praying now, just the things I prepared. Give us ears to hear it, Lord. Break them fresh. Feed us. We're hungry. We know our faith is built up and grows through your word. And so, Lord, please give us ears to hear and hear under and take the things, particularly this morning as we're talking about this whole area of spiritual warfare. When faith goes to war, Lord, we're in a battle. We understand that. We realize that. But how we need our swords sharpened, how we need Lord, our senses and everything just on, on alert, discerning and walking through this world was circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, knowing the will of the Lord. So please, Lord, I ask your blessing over the word now in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. You can be seated. So Abram is on this journey of faith. Now, these chapters have a lot to teach us about the, about the, the mysteries and what I call the majesties of our faith in Jesus Christ as we look at the life of Abraham. He went out not knowing where he was going. He did not go alone. His intimate relationships were tested. He learned to believe God for his promises. He also learned to trust God in his choices. And this morning, I'm going to add something else to that little list. He learned that conflict and war are a part of the journey. Conflict and war are a part of the journey. So these are the very same things that God calls us into as believers. Now, this, this quote by Alistair Begg I thought was very good. He says, Follow boldly in your master's step, for he has made this rough journey before you. Better a brief warfare and eternal rest than false peace and everlasting torment. Alistair Begg. Now, as I get into this, I, 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 when I was preparing this yesterday at our hour of prayer, I said, you know, as I've been preparing for this, I feel very militant. <laughs> I just feel like... Reading this and studying and then going through some pastor will go through this morning that many of you even know them. I just felt like we are in a battle. And then I started thinking about today is Father's Day. So from one dad to another, I have found one little verse significant in how I do as a dad and how I do. See, it's not specifically to dads, but it is to leaders. And dads, we are leaders. We're different kinds of leaders, different facets, but we're leaders. We're given the responsibility to lead our children. So 
I have had to take this to heart many times because as a dad, you know as well as I do, you can really get under the weight of the responsibility. You can get under the weight of feeling like, particularly as you get, go on and your children get older, you just start feeling, you know, if only this, only that. And you can really be bombarded with a lot of things that I don't think are from the Lord whatsoever. I think that the enemy comes in and begins to condemn us. Now, there's a difference between the condemnation of the devil and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When the devil is condemning us, he's driving us from God. He's making it a hopeless thing. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, we can't wait to get to God. And God always works in our lives in the areas that he does with great hope that he is working. He began, he is going to complete it. So dads, grandpas, great grand, I want to just say to you, this is the thing that has helped me often. It's when God said to Joshua, I will never leave you or forsake you. And then God said to Joshua again through Moses, his father in the faith, God said to you, Joshua, Moses, I will never leave you or forsake you. And then the third time, not God directly, not Moses, his father, but then the people he was leading said to him, God, will, the Lord will never leave you or forsake you. And here's what's encouraging for me. I think foundational to everything that we desire is just to be there. Just be there. Don't forsake, don't leave, just be there and allow the Lord to work the things out that you're desiring as a dad. So if we can just stay faithful, you know, when, we, when we're standing before, he's going to say, good and well done, good and what? Faithful servant. Just stay the course. Stay at it. Keep going because there is no way to avoid the conflict. There's no way to avoid the failures. There's no way to avoid. Those are a part of the journey. And God's taking us on that, but he is faithful. He will never leave us or forsake us. In fact, Jesus said, I'll be with you, and lo, I am with you always, even the end of the age. Lo, L-O-W. No, it's L-O, but lo, I'm with you always. So can I hear an amen from the dads? Stay at it. God has created us as warriors. That's what we do. We battle it out. And so in this, just to introduce, in fact, I got a... a, uh, a Father's Day shirt yesterday from my daughter-in-law. Here it is. I am proud. I am a proud father-in-law of a super amazing daughter-in-law. Yes, she bought, this. she bought me this. I have it on under here, but I didn't want to go like this because, you know, I don't want to give away my Superman look, okay? <laughs> so here it is. Abraham's journey as the father of our faith continues. Now, God is moving ahead. He's forwarding his promise to Abram which we read, look at Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Verse 2. Now this is, listen, this is central to the whole Bible. It's central to all of God's promises that through Abram, he would be, a, Abram became a great name, a great nation. Through that nation, his descendant, God was going to bless all the nations Yes, individual, but nations through Abram. It's, it's central to everything that God's promising of his plan. So it says, verse 2, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth, that could also be all the tribes of the earth, shall be blessed. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now, we're going to talk a lot about that as we continue going through the Bible because it is the beginning of God's first uh, uh, unconditional covenant, unilateral, 
only requires him to bless Abram, and then we get the Davidic covenant, gives a little more detail on it, then we get the new covenant, Jeremiah 30, 31, gives a little more detail, and then we have Jesus, and he is the new covenant, okay? So in this chapter, we have a couple of what are referred to as first mentions. In fact, there are three of them. I'm going to look at two this. Look at verse 2. First time the word war shows up in the Bible. Verse 4, the first time the word rebelled are mentioned in the scriptures. Now you have these first mentions in the Bible that are important. So, though rebellion and war are absent from the preceding narratives in Genesis, let me say this to you, rebellion and war had already invaded God's created order. Happened before this. Lucifer, the son of the morning, created full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now we know him named Satan, the devil, the serpent of old, because he led a rebellion against God, and so began the cosmic war of all wars. So when we talk of war, we're talking spiritual warfare. This is, it began with Lucifer's rebellion and war against God. So he was parading his pride, and that's how he fell. That's what happened. So on the earth is where this conflict is being played out according to God's plan for our training, looking forward to God's finale in his son returning. It is a spiritual conflict between two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of death and darkness, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdoms of this world, and the kingdom of the son of his love. There is a battle going on. It's a war of kingdoms, two of them. Jesus came to earth. He died on the cross. He rose again the third day. He ascended into heaven. And in so doing, he has secured a complete and final victory that we, are yet, we have yet to see. But let me tell you, we're a lot closer today than we were then. It was then. The day of the Lord will come. And God will be, Jesus will be displayed. We're gonna, we sing a song, Jesus Messiah, name above all names. Blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel. The rescue for sinners. We're going to see a rescue mission today. The ransom from heaven. Jesus Messiah, he's the Lord of all. That is what we are, that's the finale. That's the final thing that Jesus already secured. It's going to happen. So when he comes, well, look at Colossians 2. And you being dead, in, this, is, this is explains it. You being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He has made, in other words, no relationship with God, no covenant. He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he, Jesus, has taken out of the way, having nailed it where? To the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In other words, Satan is no match for God. He's not created equal. Jesus, he's not somehow equal to Jesus. He's not at all. He's a created being, and God triumphed over all of his endeavors at the cross. So soon, maybe we'll say not soon enough, soon, Jesus will come again to earth. He will stand on earth, and he will reign as king of kings and lord of lords from Jerusalem in the promised land promised to the, to, to the Jews, and so shall, he, so shall his kingdom reign forever. And let me say this, the redeemed of the Lord will be reigning with him.
we the redeemed, both Jew and Gentile, will be reigning with him. First, so as until then, a couple other scriptures. First Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you're also called, and have confessed the good confession before many witnesses. Stay at it. Stay at it. When faith goes to war, this is what we do. We have to fight the good fight of faith. We need to lay hold on those things that are eternal. Second scripture, Paul, Timothy at the end of his life, to t- uh, Paul at the end of his life is writing. Here he says it. I, I say, Lord, that's what I want to be able to say before I go. I have fought the good faith fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me, and not to me only, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. He's coming again. Are you looking forward to that? Are we going to love his appearing? Let me say this. To those who don't know him, the day of the Lord is an ugly time. But to those who are waiting for him, those who are looking forward to his coming, it is going to be the most glorious thing, the most amazing thing, the most miraculous thing, the most powerful thing that the world has ever seen when Jesus comes back to establish his kingdom and he makes everything new again. Wow, I'm getting excited. Look at verse 4, Genesis 14. Twelve years they served Ketelohamer, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. So... For 12 years, these five kings located south of the Dead Sea were subservient to these four kings, which was a coalition from the Mesopotamia region, mostly modern-day Iraq, but also includes Iran, Syria, and Turkey to some degree, which means that sometime earlier they were also defeated and conquered by these same kings. Chapter, this, this is from a, the Bible Knowledge Commentary. Chapter 14 describes a typical international skirmish in the ancient world in which powerful nations formed a coalition to plunder and subjugate areas near the border of the land promised to Abraham. So this coalition. So as this coalition of four kings puts this military campaign together, it had two purposes. The first one was to subdue the Transjordan and Sinai areas. We get that in verses 5 through 7. Let's read it. In the 14th year, the Ketelamer and the kings that were with him came and attacked the Rephim, the, Ze- Ze- the, the Zuzim, <laughs> the Horites, as far as, as El Paran, which is by the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to end whatever it is. This is Kadesh, and attacked the country of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who dwelt in Hezazon. So the first part of two purposes was to subdue the Transjordan. I'll, I'll give you a map in a moment. Okay. The second purpose was to put down this rebellion that had been taking place among these Dead Sea kings, five of them. Verse 8, and the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zebulun, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, went out and joined together in battle in the valley of Siddim against these, these, other, these kings, four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim, verse 10, was full of asphalt pits, And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all the provisions and went their way. So they had tremendous success. The whole thing was great. Tremendous success. So here's a couple visuals, if it helps at all for you. This is what, they were coming from this area of Mesopotamia, coming down. They come, those names that we named, they're coming all the way down here. They get here, they turn around, they go back up here. This is where those, those, 
Kings are going to be fighting them. The five kings are situated. In fact, today they believe that uh, Sodom and Gomorrah actually now are fill, oh, oh, the water covers where they used to be. But these, they were right in this area with Sodom and Gomorrah and all those places. So they come down, they subdue all this Transjordan, and they come in here to put down this rebellion, and then they start their way home, victorious. So at the, at the time when this all, whole thing is beginning to, to be put together, Abram is settled in Hebron, worshiping the Lord. He's enjoying the whole thing, uh, his life. And living in Sodom, as far as, Mo, as far as, I said Moses, as far as Abram knew, was his nephew Lot enjoying the good life, as far as he knew. But look at verse 12. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods, and departed. So God is forwarding his plan here he, to make Abram great. How? He's going to draw him into conflict. He's going to have him realize there's a loved one of his that's been taken captive. So in verse 13, it says, Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the term of the tree in Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and brother of Aner. They were allies with Abram. So the end of this story is that Abram will now be established as a respected commanding leader of a new clan. Notice what it says there, verse 13. They told Abram the Hebrew. So we have a clan now that's a force to be reckoned with, is what's going to happen. So as they come and do their thing, then Abram hears about in Hebron, and he starts heading up with his 318 servants to take care of the problem. Okay, so that's what's going on. God is making his name great, but through warfare, through conflict. Look at verse 14. Now, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Now, I want you to notice as we read this, it's always servants. It never says soldiers. Servants, servants, servants. You see, in the spiritual realm of battle, we are servants of the Most High God. That's what we are. We're servants. We have a commander. So Abram responds immediately. Why did he respond? It's very simple. He loved Lot. He loved his family. As far as he knew, he's down in Sodom, but now he finds out, and by the way, when you get to that area there, he's about 20 miles from where they're starting to go back up. Winds up being at least 120 miles that he has to go to finally to Dan, where he finally takes care of the problem. So he's, going, he's, he's in it for the long haul. He's in it for the distance, but Abraham could have said, I'm not going to do anything about that. I mean, Lot made his bed. Let him sleep in it. Love doesn't do that. Yeah, there are a lot of decisions that are made, but when we realize one of our loved ones has been taken captive, love is the motivation to go after that and go after it vigilantly. That's what love does. Love doesn't wait. It's immediate. Now, Abram is a man of peace, but let me tell you also here, he's a man of war, and there's no problem with that. We are, yes, we want to be peacemakers, but let me tell you, there are times when it's time to go to war, to go to battle when it comes to our loved ones. Faith works by love. It's Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Faith works by love. Now, that's true of the Christian faith, but let me say it's true of anything that you're believing. When you love, you actively pursue it. When you're loving something, you believe in it. You're going after that. In this case, Abram loved Lot, and he was prepared beforehand. His servants were already trained. Should it ever get to this, I'm ready. Let me ask you a question. Are you ready? 
Are you prepared? We're going to look at this a little bit at the end. But he already had his house in order. He already had his servants trained. And he was very wealthy to have 318 servants from his own house. Grew up there. And they all respond courageously. That's what love does. Were they nervous? I'm sure they were. Nobody goes into war. Well, this is great. Were they afraid? I'm sure there was different levels of fear, for sure. Who wants to go to battle? Who wants to, you know, your life's on the line. That's a fearful thing. But courage is amplified when you love someone. You will do anything. You'll go to any length to seek to get them out of captivity, to see them delivered from the things that have taken over them. And so he says he armed them. In other words, it's not a practice drill, guys. It's the real deal. We're not just practicing. It's not a video game. It's the real deal. He had them trained. Look at this quote from this, from this verse. The Hebrew here is dynamic. He armed his 318 of them. Is literally, he drew out 318 men, as you would, in the, in, the, in the language Hebrew, as you would draw out a sword from its sheath. His 318 loyal men were his sword, unsheathed and ready for war. Out came the quivers and bows. Swords were wedded to razor's edge. Spears were thrust into the sky, unquote. That's from word commentary. In other words, these were his army. This was his sword. Let me say to you, we are the army of the Lord. We are his servants. We are his soldiers. We are the ones that are going out to battle in the spiritual realm. And he had loyal, trained regiment of servants that set out on a rescue mission. They set on a rescue mission. Verse 15, he did it strategically. He divided his forces against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. So he responds very strategically. But let me, say this, let me tell you his strategy. He wasn't waiting for the war to come to him. He went to it. He went after it. He was saying, this needs to be dealt with. We need to overtake this. We need to do something about this problem. Verse 16, so he brought back all the goods and also brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. So Abram and 318 of his dearly beloved servants, his loyal servants, returned home victorious. And I would say what a joyous relief that must have been to many, many people. Now notice, it's just through the chapter. Two kings now of very different character meet Abram after this stunning victory. The first is Bera, the king of Sodom. Verse 17. Now we get Bera, his name is in verse 2, but verse 17. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Kedemelamer and the kings who were with him. Now here's very different kings. This king is a king of a wicked city. He's a wicked king. Verse 21. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. So this king of Sodom offers him a deal. He says to him, release my people, take all the spoils, and walk away, a rich man. Walk away. Interesting, Abram would have nothing to do with the offer. Notice, verse 22. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth that I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will, take not, I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten and the portion of the men who went with me. And he names his, as we get in verse 13, these are his allies. So really, Abram himself, 
would have had, had total right to take some of the spoils. He said, I'm not doing it. He, what he's saying is, I'm not in it for what's in it for me. I'm not in it for myself. I did this because of my love for my, and because God directed, and God is the one who brought about the victory. Now, Abram's saying there's one reason, love for God and love for my family. Love. That's what motivated him. His love for God is what honored him, honoring God. Any and all credit goes to God. Any success was because of God. Saying, I'm not going to even go there. I'm not even going to give that a, a thread of substance. It's all because of God. Now, I'm not suggesting that when someone says to you, man, good job, that you then we respond, well, it was the Lord. I would say, no, it was you. <laughs> you did that labor. You did that work. And I think there's a place that God's given to us in our makeup. We are told actually to encourage one another to appreciate one another. So when someone comes and says to me, yeah, I really appreciate that message just really spoke to me, I say, thank you. Because I did labor in it. But I also understand that I don't want to take credit for what's not me. And the same for you and I. For example, you are not perfectly wonderful. You may, be, you may have moments of being wonderful, but you are not perfectly wonderful. In fact... We're anything but perfect and everything but that. I just tell people, well, you need to come live with me. <laughs> the only thing we're perfectly is we're perfectly flawed. That's the deal. And so, lest anyone think differently, may God help us to not take the credit where it's not our due. To give it to God, but give it to that humbly, graciously. And just say thank you. I appreciate that. Melchizedek is the second king that meets him. Verses 18 through 20. Very different character. The Melchizedek king of Salem, that's the mean king of peace. He brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram of God most high. Possessor of heaven and earth. Now, Abram, interesting, when he's talking to the king of Sodom, actually is reiterating what he had just been revealed. King of God most high. Possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, notice, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And what did Abram say? He gave him a tithe of all. So he's the king of peace, the priest of God most high. He brought out bread and wine, I believe, to refresh Abram after the battle. He blessed Abram as a man belonging to God. He blessed God as the one who gave him the victory. And the response now to this revelation, to this king, is he gives him a tenth of the spoils. Lots of questions. Are there not? We're going to talk about them next week. Is that all right? But let me say this. This guy, Melchizedek, walks into the scriptures for three verses and walks right back out again. A thousand years later, he walks back into the scriptures for one verse, Psalm 110, and then he walks back right out again. And then we don't hear anything about this Melchizedek character until we get to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 5 and then 6 and 7, which I'm going to encourage you to read for next week. He sort of shows up there. 
So the full weight of these oaths that were taken, Melchizedek is revealed two times in the Old Testament. Abram's response to Melchizedek appears, and he made an oath to God. Then the Lord makes an oath concerning Melchizedek in Psalm 110. He says, verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are priests forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Was the swear God swore? Abram swore. Two oaths. His response to the thing Abram was to give a tithe. So the full weight of these oaths and the full measure of our response because of them would not be explained until after Jesus came. After Jesus died, after Jesus rose from the dead, after Jesus ascended into heaven, we, won't, we know nothing, we don't hear anything about that until after Jesus came, after he went through all that he went through to redeem us and pay the price, ascend into heaven where he's seated. Here's the deal, we'll get this next week. If Jesus had never showed up, we would have no idea why Melchizedek ever showed up. So we're going to look at that next week. It's amazing, the things that we're going to discover. So for this morning, as I'm closing this, this message on when faith goes toward the rescue of a loved one, we're at war. We're at war. It's sobering and it's serious. There's a spiritual battle going on, on earth, in the heavenlies, and it's the battle for our allegiances and our love. Who are we going to love? Who are we going to be loyal to? What are we going to love? What are we going to be loyal to? It's very real, though it's not recognized very often, how we need to be aware we're in a spiritual, we live Christians in a spiritual dimension called eternal life, where there's a battle waging. Now, this is understood very differently by those who are believers. So I want to talk to the believers to close. But before I do, I want to talk to you if you're here. This Well, if, if you're listening, you're here. So I don't have to say if you're here. You who are here and have not yet surrendered your life to the captain of the Lord's host. You've not yet given your life to Christ. I'd like to just say to you the war that we're talking about here is the battle for your very soul. That's what we're talking about. It's your eternal destiny that's at stake. And that's no joke. Jesus said, Matthew 16, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for soul? The answer is you can give nothing. You can't pay the price. It's death. Jesus paid the price for you. So you would not have to experience it. But you must choose to surrender your life to Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, as appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once, what? To bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. But to those who reject him, there is no other answer for your rescue and your ransom. It's through Christ. That is why, my, my dear friends, that is why, we want to talk to you about Jesus because he loves you. That is why we want to share the gospel with you because he died for you. He rose again the third day. He's ascended for you and for you to be set free from the captivity of sin, death, and the condemnation of hell. God's free gift offered through his son. That's why we want to share with you the gospel. That's why we pray for you. 
We know the Bible tells us that prayer is the deciding factor in the battle. We'll talk about that in another moment. So we pray for you. And you know what? The interesting thing, when I meet someone who doesn't know God, isn't a Christian, and I say, I'm going to pray for you, they appreciate that. And I hope that you understand. We're not just praying to the air. We are praying to a God who hears our prayers and is working. And you might be totally oblivious to that going on, but let me tell you, you're not here by accident. You're here because God is with you. Someone's praying for you and wanting you to come to know Christ. That's why we stick around in your life. That's why we want to be with you, because Jesus wants to be with you. And Jesus wants us to be the hands and feet and eyes with you. That's why we hang around with you. That's why we want to be with you. I want to give you a couple of scriptures to understand a little bit from our perspective what goes on for us. We're fools for Christ, basically. But notice what Paul said. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. In other words, if we're crazy about God, that's why. Or if we are of sound mind, it's for you. We're trying to communicate as best we can what we believe with wisdom and understanding and sensitivity. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. He wants to take us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his dear son. Next. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. This is our perspective. This is the truth that we're now living in. Through Jesus, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Through So my, my dear person, who, friend who's not here, doesn't know Christ, let me say, we're just ambassadors. We're bringing a little bit of our little country into your life and saying, this is what it's like to know God. This is why the gospel, this is why we pray for you. This is why we love you. This is why we care about what goes on. Now, I know that might sound a little weird, but it's true. We're fools for Christ. We're going to live crazy because Jesus has made us crazy, crazy love for him. Now, to my fellow soldiers, we are at war. Paul told a couple people, my fellow soldier. The ultimate and final victory has been secured by Jesus through the cross. God's moving ahead, forwarding his plan and promise in Christ in our lives through battles, through tensions. That day will come when Jesus reigns on the earth and his kingdom shall be established forever. And if we're going to see our loved ones rescued, we must understand we're at war. And some of you parents know the battle very well. You can see so clearly the tentacles of evil and the devil sort of creeping in and grabbing hold of your children's minds and the world beginning to, to begin to dilute truth and move your children in directions that you agonize over. We're at war. We're in a battle. So the first thing we must do is acknowledge our enlistment. We are on active duty as Christians. We're in it for one reason. We love God and we love souls, just like God. We love God who loves people, souls. We're not in it for what's in it for us. I should say, I'm not in it for what's in it for me. 
We're in it because of what's in it for us as God's army, which is what's in it for him. He's sent to declare his, in other words, don't go AWOL, which is absent without love. Don't do that. Love is, is that motivation behind everything. God is love. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Love is what constrains us out. Don't go AWOL. Stay in it. We're on active duty. Look what Paul told Timothy. And by the way, you look at the Bible, it's replete with scripture after scripture after scripture of battle and war. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare and tangles himself with the affairs of his life that he may please him and enlist him as what? A soldier. We're on active duty. Satan is a has-been who refuses to quit, but he knows his day is coming. He knows his time is short. And God's allowing it for, our pur- for his purposes, our training. Secondly, act accordingly. Act accordingly. In other words, accurately identify that there is a battle. Actively identify the enemy. In other words, let's cease firing at one another. Can I hear an amen? Let's cease firing at one another. James says this. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do not come from your own desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covenant cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask and miss that you may what? Spend it on your pleasures. Let's, let's understand. Let's cease fire at one another, but also let's stop defecting behind enemy lines. Let's stop flirting with the world. And James goes on to say that. He says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that? Now, James cuts no muscle. He just says it straight, which is what we need when we understand this battle is serious. It's intense. We're not playing around. we got to have it straight up. Here's what it means. You are enlisted. I am enlisted in this battle with Jesus Christ. It's serious. It's sobering. And so give it to me straight. Let me tell you, let's stop defecting behind enemy lines. Let's stop flirting with the world. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We can't do, you can't serve two masters. I'm exhorting myself as much as you. We need to stop flirting with sin. Stop flirting with the world. Stop finding our, defecting ourselves behind enemy lines and living a life that's secret and full of secrets. But let's get into the light. Let's put on the armor and let's go for it in this whole thing called spiritual warfare. Peter said this, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which what? War against the soul. And finally, and this is one that I personally, even recently, have said, I am so thankful for my fellow soldiers. Listen, we got to ask for as much help as we need. we got to ask for as much reinforcement as we need. We need, in other words, we got to call for the reinforcements when it's getting serious and getting difficult and getting impossible even. Now listen, train well, practice hard, be prepared, but know this, that God in us, anything comes against us, 
is no match for God in us. No match. We've got to go forward in faith, believing the Holy Spirit has prepared us, will prepare us, will train us, will equip us, will empower us. It's not by might nor by power, but, but, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We need to be continually filled and realize we need the power of God who is for us. And so I want to close with this passage very well known by many of you. It is the passage on spiritual warfare, Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. In other words, there is a very formidable coalition aligned against us, the world, the flesh, and the devil. They're aligned against us, and we're fighting these things, these three things, this unholy trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so Paul says to end this book, he's just talked about marriage. He's just talked about family. He's just talked about jobs and employers. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to what? Stand against what? The wiles of the devil. Notice you need to get so close to your commander. I need to be so close to my commander. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wild devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, formidable coalition, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. Know this, in the last days, Paul said, perilous times will come. Let me say, they're here. We're in a battle. It's a battle for the souls of those we love and the souls of the world. It says, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet, people with the pre- your feet with the preparation of God. These are things that are there already. Now, let me say just, just having girded ways with truth. In other words, don't loosen up the truth. Don't go loose with truth. That is what everything else is going to be. It's going to depend on how effective it will be for, to protect you unless that truth is what it is. It's truth. 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 And I'll tell you, this world is so subtle in the lies, the lies. Satan is the father of lies. And we need to be, get, be being equipped on how do we answer these subtleties that the world throws at our children. For me, my burden is for my children. Listen, don't be loose with the truth. Declare it, live it, believe it, hold it close. The breastplate of righteous living, not only imputed to us, but how we practice our lives, how we live righteously. We live out the truth. And having shod your feet, in other words, we need to realize the gospel is ours, and it's, we need it on our feet. But he says, having, having, having. And then he says, now take up the shield of faith. We must do something. With which we will quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take up the helmet of salvation. And take up the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. Pray. Now, here, here, here's where we'll close today. Because what I want to do, we're going to have response time. A couple songs, we're going to just go to God. I know, and my heart breaks. I know that all of us have people on our minds and our, maybe right in our families directly or outside of our family little ways or way out, people that we know that have been taken captive by Satan to do his will. Paul said perhaps God will grant them repentance. So we're not to argue them. We're just to be 
gentle and seeking to instruct, but God praying that God will grant them repentance to acknowledge the truth. Prayer, and you know this and we know this, all of us, prayer is a deciding factor. And so Paul says, praying always. Most verses on this. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. How? In the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, Paul says. No, it's Paul saying, I need prayer. What does he want prayer for? You, this will blow your mind. Paul needs prayer that utterance may be given to you, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. You think you're, not, you're the only one that doesn't have a problem preaching the gospel. Paul the apostle said, pray for me because I'm, feeling, I'm finding myself shrinking back. Pray for me that I may, may my mouth, I'm running along, I'm running my mouth. <laughs> my, I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which, he says, for which I am an ambassador. There it is again, in chains. Paul's saying, yeah, I'm in chains, but how even the face of the, of the ones who chained me, I want to just say it. I can say it. You know, the word of God is not chained. Paul's saying, pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, we're in a battle. We're in a fight. And for some of us, it's close to home, right, even as we're talking. The souls of the ones we love have been taken captive. So what I want to do in responding, I would like you to just consider maybe one person, maybe a couple. I would, I would suggest just one, one person that's on your heart today who needs to be rescued from the lies and the powers of darkness that have overrun them and carried them off captive. Who is it? Think for a moment. And however best you want to do that, for some maybe that's coming forward, we're going to have some leaders come up. In fact, you can come up now, some leaders come up who can pray with you for that person. But I say let's bring them to God's throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need, that God may grant them repentance to the acknowledging the truth, they may escape the snare of the devil who's taken them captive, Paul told Timothy. Who is it for you? Let me say this. Don't you ever listen to the lie that your prayers will not be answered. You pray. I'll tell you my own personal story. I accepted Christ when I was 10. When I was about 15, I started walking away from him. And I was doing some pretty bad things. My mom and dad, and I never understood this until I came back to Christ, years and years later. I was in my bedroom, higher than a kite. My, back, my bedroom was painted flat black with, date with black lights, playing music with my friends, partying, right there, right in that house. And I didn't even think about it at the time. But after the years went by, and I'm thinking, I would never do that. If my son ever started dealing like that in his bedroom, you're out, Jack. That's not what my mom and dad did. So years later, I came, they came out to visit me in California. It was interesting because I came back to Christ down in Costa Mesa. And my mom and dad, who never, ever flew an airplane, ever. They were too afraid to. They didn't like it. When they found out I was in this thing called some, they thought it was a cult. <laughs> and so they get on that plane and they come out to California to see me, look in my eyes. That's when I said to them, why didn't you kick me out? My mom said to me, because we knew, we, knew you you, we knew you wouldn't listen to us. We also wanted to know where you were, where you were. She said, we just prayed for you. 
I want to tell you, God answers prayer. God is moving in prayer. It's a deciding factor. So as we're just considering this morning, this battle, this war that we're fighting, maybe it's, maybe it's one of your younger kids, maybe it's a grown kid, maybe it's a, somebody else, but would you just one person, would you bring them to God? However this best for you, maybe you're going to come up and just kneel front here and say, Lord, please, 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 deliver. Give her some light. One of the prayers I pray all the time. Because the gospel's veiled, Corinthians tells us. The God that says, just blind them. I say, Lord, would you just give like a little three-second lightning flash of truth? And let them see. That's what happened for me in Virginia. Got this little track. And I was like, it's like the skies open up and God said, you better get right with me. That's one of the things I pray. So I could go on here because it's such a burden in my heart. I look at the world we live in. I look at our kids and what they're facing. I go, wow, if that was in my I just go, wow. But let's listen, listen, listen. We are praying from victory. We are praying as those who know the God most high, who know his plans and his purposes, who's not willing that any should perish. And so we plead before his throne of grace for mercy and grace to help in time of need, that you would come by your spirit and upon this person that I love, I know, and that you deliver them, Lord. Let's do it. Hi, I'm Kevin Day, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel South. I really hope you enjoyed the message and that God spoke to your heart through it. If you'd like to know more about our church and find other messages to watch, head over to ccskent.org. And I would love to meet you at one of our Sunday services. God bless you.